Welcome to the Gate 7 International Podcast, your official English source for Olympiakos FC and the Greek Super League. My name is Peter Thompson. I'm here with Lambros Sirmos and Ari Bulubasis. We have just finished watching an electrifying finish to the Olympiakos Omonia game, the first leg. Yusef Al-Arabi just broke his goal drought in unreal fashion. So I am absolutely gassed to talk about other stuff in the Super League today. How are you feeling, Nambro? I'm feeling good. You know, that game was a strange one there at the at the end. That goal really sent us into joy. And, you know, with a 1-0 lead, it could have gotten a little shaky in Cyprus. But now we got two two goals and no away goals. I'm feeling good going into next week. He's back, boys. The king of Qatar is back. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's a relief, and we'll, we'll get into the game a little bit today, and we're actually going to be getting into it even more on Sunday. We're going to be having Christian Lagos from Hellas Football joining us on Sunday, September 27th. We'll be talking mainly about this game as well as some brief discussion about Olympiakos versus Panetolikos. Hopefully that isn't a game that draws out too much discussion, but we will see you then to talk with Christian from Hellas Football. Yeah, and I, I just want to jump in real quick, guys. I'm still waiting for Mitroglu at the airport. Still waiting. You know, I'll be there all don't, year. Don't hold for your him. breath, mate. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, oh. continue, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> um, additionally, in other special guest news, we will be having a correspondent from Olympiakos France on Sunday, October 11th. You can follow them at Olympiakos FR, and that's Olympiakos with a K. Additionally, we would like to say thank you again to our sponsor, Piraeus International Incorporated. Piraeus International is not just a one-stop shop for all importing and exporting needs to Greece and other countries, but they are also a source for all 220-volt appliances and electronics. For those who may not know, most countries out of the United States or Canada use a different electrical system. So if you're moving overseas and want to bring the quality American appliances that you're used to, reach out to Piraeus International. They work alongside a network of retailers across the country that specialize in appliances that work in Greece or other European countries. Check them out at PiraeusINTL.com or give them a call at 410-675-4696. With that, let's get into some transfer news from around the Super League. So we'll start off with Olympiakos. Our left-back transfer target, Rice, has had personal terms agreed. He was supposed to be in Piraeus on Monday, but Porto has come in with some late interest, so now the deal is in danger. We'll have to be keeping updated on that because, obviously, as we'll get into, we need a left-back. Additionally, we have made an improved offer for Southampton player Sofian Bufal. That's a 5 million euro deal. And complications between that deal have led to a reported agreement with Gary Rodriguez, the winger that we've had discussions with in the past. Lambra, what are your thoughts on Gary Rodriguez here? Oh, God. Gary Rodriguez will not go away. He will not die. This transfer will not die. And I saw all of you people trolling me on Twitter about Gary Rodriguez. I was upset. I'm not excited that he's back in the news. God damn it. Okay. I may have stoked that flame posting on the 8-7 Twitter account, calling you out. Are we calling this a saga yet? The Gary Rodriguez saga? Oh, absolutely. As it approached. <laughs> it's going to be I'm a saga. It. I'm ending the saga right now. Mithro, we'll come to the airport now. <laughs> no, it's just beginning. It's just beginning. 
Lambros wants the Mitroglou saga to begin, but it's not really catching on. It's not catching <laughs> that's on. Close. That's never happening. That's never happening. <laughs> I'll start it. <laughs> anyway, um, let's move to Pauk, who drew in the Super League this weekend 1-1. I think that was with Atromitos, if I'm not mistaken. A bit of an unlucky result that I believe involved an own goal. So unfortunate for them. Uh, obviously wanting to get a good start off in the Super League. We'll talk more about their European drama today as well. Pauk, despite being in the midst of a Champions League qualification run, have been making a lot of sales. Their striker Chuba Akpom has been sold to Middlesbrough for 3 million euros. Unfortunately, because of complications between the deal that Pauk originally got to buy Akpom from Arsenal, they won't be seeing a lot of that money because the sell-on fee or the sell-on percentage, I should say, was so high. Additionally, the move of Limios to FC Köln in Germany for 3.3 million euros has been officially announced by the club. So Limnios, the young star of the Greek national team, will not be playing in Thessaloniki anymore, unfortunately for Pauk. Atalanta in Italy have made an offer for left-back Yanulis. However, talks are on hold until after the Champions League playoff, which is maybe a smart move from Pauk. The number 6 million euros is being thrown around for Yanuris. And in exchange for basically the utter lack of a right back that they've had recently, Pauk have received Barcelona prospect Musa Wage on loan. He's a 21-year-old right back from Barcelona, and obviously it helps that they have a true right back to play in that back three now. They've also signed a Croatian striker, Antonio Cholak from Rijeka, and possibly a replacement for Akpom there. Going forward to Ike, they have signed Yevgen Shakov, a central midfielder who came from Lecce in Italy on a free transfer. He formerly played for Pauk. Levi Garcia, a name we've talked about, has been signed by Ike as well. We talked about how Olympiakos and Ike were both in for him and how maybe we shouldn't just sign this player just so Ike don't sign him. Obviously, that hasn't happened, especially with us being in for Buffal and Gary Rodriguez. Now that seems to be the priority for Olympiacos. And one more transfer bit for Ike. They have loaned out attacker Danny Verde to Spezia for 500,000, 600,000 euro obligation to buy if Spezia remain in Serie A. And heading to Ofi, who saw their European campaign end, unfortunately, in the last week or so, signed Apostolos Yanu, the striker, formerly of Asteras Tripolis and almost of the Greek national team. He is an Australian international who had spent time in China before this. And they've also signed Panionios left-back Odysseos Limberakis. So adding some depth to their team. And they've also made a record sale selling a player for 1 million euros. Lambro, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so this is an interesting player. Uh, he goes by the name of João Figueiredo. I'm going full Portuguese right there. That That's the biggest fee that they've sold someone since they've come back up to the Super League. That money is very important for them now that they don't have European football. It will be used to sign some more players and strengthen the squad, for sure. Yeah, and I think it's Figueiredo, by the way, Lambro. Might need to... Might need to get you out of French class and into Portuguese, potentially. We've got some Portuguese players in Olympiacos, so you never know. But one last team to discuss, we've got Aris, 
they're still receiving interest in Yanis Fetfazidis from Qatari clubs. Apparently an offer has been thrown in for 1.1 million euros plus a signing bonus. And if that offer is received, he will earn 1.5 million euros per year. The Middle East is where Fetfazidis is destined to play. I remember when we, he was loaned by Genoa, or loaned to Genoa, I should say. And after that, after he played in Italy, he went to a Saudi Arabian team, Al-Ali, made some money there, played there for three years, then came back to Olympiacos before we realized he was really not what we thought he was again and off again. So back to the Middle East where he goes, but he's going to make a lot of money. So more power to him. Yeah, the Greek Messi off to the Middle East should be interesting. Yeah, and Addis are in some trouble, guys, to be honest with you. As as we've seen, they've sacked their head coach, Michael Onin, the German. And they also sacked Agilos Aristeas, former Greek international striker, very famous for the goals he scored in Euro 2004. They really are almost resetting the team after... Uh, the debacle with Kolos Kavoloka, if I say that correctly. Yeah, well, it's certainly not the way they wanted to see their season end. And obviously some changes are required on that front. Speaking of the Greek national team, we do have some modern day news, aside from Karisteas at Adis. It's been told via a Pauk propaganda radio station that our beloved centre-back, Shiovas, will no longer be a part of the Greek national team. I think we may have discussed his comments uh, that he made about the defence. If we hadn't, he basically said that Manodas is the best centre-back in Greece and that it might be better to see him paired with Svarnas, a young centre-back, as opposed to Shiovas himself. Uh, Van Schip clearly did not take well to those comments and has since said that Shiovas will no longer be with the team. Yeah, so when this news broke, we began discussing with it amongst ourselves, and I sent over to you guys an article by Padelis Diamantopoulos, who is one of our favorite journalists in Greece. He writes for Sport24, Todd GR, going Greek again. And uh, if you if you read or speak Greek, try, try reading some of his articles, because they're really good. And John Van Schip went on Open TV, which is owned by Savidis, the owner of Pauk, and he basically called out Silva's first comments and just almost attacked his character and said if he wants to be a head coach, he should quit playing football and become a head coach. And just going after him for going out on TV and speaking with reporters, when John Van Chip did the exact same thing, went on TV and called out Silva's and kind of disgraced his name, a player who for me was the best player over two games for the Greek national mm-hmm. team, just terrible behavior by the manager just you know maybe people don't like that we have club politics in greece okay fair enough but we have club politics in greece you don't you don't do things like this he's just not he's not doing things the right way i wonder what you guys think it it made me a bit upset and i'm worried about the project long term i mean i'll say this first of all siovas i think expected that something would happen there's no way that you as a player can make comments against the coach and not expect, you know, to be canned from the team. It, it's not good for chemistry. But Greek media did its part by, of course, taking his quote out of context because the, the quote you kept seeing was, we didn't have the best player, Manola. That's all you saw. 
And then there was that tidbit about Zvarnas almost looking like, oh, we didn't have Manola, we had Zvarnas. No, that's not what the quote was. The quote was saying in, in, the, in full context that Zvarnas would have played better if he had a better player next to him, like Manola. Yeah. He was saying that more like Siovas himself wasn't good enough to, to really help Zvarnas in the national team. And I didn't think there was anything wrong with that. Now, of course, when you speak out, you have to expect that consequences will happen. What, what, what Van Chip did was equally, was equally as childish. And I'm sorry, Van Chip has proved nothing to me. Absolutely nothing. We've struggled against minnows. That says nothing. I don't care if this is a new look Greek national team. I've heard people say and seen on comments on social media that, oh, the national team is playing better out with the old guard. No, we might be playing more free flowing, but better's not, you know, a word I'd use. And this is something that I've seen people post on social media and Reddit. And I agree. I don't think we're playing better i think we're playing in a much better more offensive mindset but we don't have the results to say that we're a better team and i think we all are sort of in agreement about basically how we feel about von Schipp making these comments but i also think i i don't really think ne necessarily manola needs to be included back in the team like that's a whole nother issue right and there are certainly ways to leave a good player out if they're not team first and that was shown when we talked to George uh, about the Euro 2004 team. Obviously, Yorgaktos was left out of the team despite being one of the best and most notable Greek players in the world at the time. Uh, because of this, multiple players have spoke out in support of the national team and maintaining team unity. And I think the fact that Shovas's comments, when you really look at what they said, I really don't think they were that bad. If anything, he is outing himself. He's saying... I wasn't good enough. Uh, we, might, we, need a, we need a better player. Svaranas is a player who needs to be mentored. It's me. And I think you shouldn't necessarily be penalized so severely for saying that. Yeah, and you know, one problem I have with this whole thing is Greek fans have given John Vanship a ton of plaudits for basically kicking out the old guard. But I'm going to say this very clearly. He hasn't kicked anyone out. He's not closed the door on anyone leaving. And he has dragged this along. John Van Schipt's management style has led this to become a problem. What people need to understand, if he was willing to kick Manulas, if he was willing to kick Socrates, Torosidis, these players out, Samaris, Mitroglu, he should have said, these players are out, they didn't perform, we're moving on. But he's been dragging this long, along for a year and a half now. This is a problem he created, no one but himself. And I'm fed up with it. No, I, I agree with you in that respect. Like, you know, if you don't want these guys on the team, just make it clear. Just say it. Just go out there and say it. You know, if you're going to be bold enough to make a statement and attack a player and his character and be as childish back as you think the player was being childish, at least you can have the gall to say, hey, these guys aren't a part of the team. That's it. Okay, then people say, you know what? Fine. But he still hasn't shut the door on anybody. and He hasn't made it clear at all. So, I mean, this whole thing is just stupid to me. So, you know, on one hand, don't get me wrong. I'm not defending Siovas's comments. I don't think they're quite as bad as, you know, some people are saying they are. Because, well, of course, because the Greek media takes things out of context. But at the same time, JVS isn't doing himself any favors either. You know, it's one thing to be to maintain unity. I mean, we did see that like other players, Dorosidi, Socrates, when they spoke, they were really more concerned about unity with the players. Even Carapapa said something, I think, 
to the EPO. Of course, he was upset because they never did like any kind of retirement announcement or any retirement accolades for Torosidis. But at the same time, you know, Carapapas isn't the national team. He can have his opinions on it just like us, but this is the national team. Now, JVS needs to grow up and he needs to be mature and be a real coach. Just say it. These guys aren't a part of the team anymore. Boom, done. And move on from there. Don't be a child. Exactly. Like we, you can't, you can't even compare. It's light. It's night and day compared to what Rahigel did. And he was so much more just swift about like, look, this player isn't in my plans. You're not above the team. Whereas yeah, JVS has just kind of strung them along and not really said anything about it. And then in the same vein, when someone says Manana should be in the team, now you're kicked out. Like it's just, it's, it's really inconsistent and just overall not great from him. Yeah. And I'll wrap this up. I, I think we're all very passionate about this. I'm very passionate about this. It's kind of his comments. And I watched the 20 minute segment on open TV. If you guys want to watch it, it's on their website, I believe. Just, I, I don't have faith in this project long-term. You don't do these things and you don't, okay. I I'm going to show my cards here. You don't perform as you have been performing to show that this is going to last long-term. I don't think this is going to work. I, I'm putting it out now. I, I don't really have faith in in JVS. I've lost faith in his management style, and I think there could be a player civil war or something on the cards like that. I don't think there's going to be unity for very long. Yeah, it doesn't really seem likely to me either, but I guess we'll just have to watch and see, of course. Until then, we've got European stuff to look forward to. We did have... Falcon action, which we'll talk about, but we also did have Adis and Ofi playing in the Europa League qualifiers. Unfortunately, both of them lost, which is not a great result at all. Adi, I think you watched some of those games. Do you have any thoughts very briefly on um, how they played? I mean, I've from what I've heard, it's just, you know, I'm not even going to bother you guys with statistics. It was miserable. It was miserable. Ofi played well below their standard, well below where they should have. I mean, this this should have been an easy uh, easy win for them. It really should have on paper. Upset was an understatement here. You know, I, I know some people – are saying Ofi isn't a big team and they have a small team mindset. I'm sorry. Do you think Apollon Limassol has <laughs> a large team mindset? Or, you know, I mean, they're even smaller. They're, they're worth a fraction of what Ofi's worth. They have a fraction of the player value talent that Ofi has. I mean, I don't want to hear the excuses. It was horrible. They should be ashamed of themselves. That that organization should be ashamed of itself, and I hope that they improve in the future. That's it. I'm sorry if I offend any Cretans in the process, but this was disgusting. And Adis even more so. That was another shock loss. I was never impressed with Michael Oening to begin with, even last season. I thought they held on to him a little bit too long, and I hate the carousel. I'm happy they gave him the whole season to see what he was about, but I would have asked him to leave over the summer, brought in a new coach, and and go from there. They held on to him too long. Should have cut him over the summer. But, hey, that's just me. you got to look how these teams ended the Super League playoff. Aris ended the season with, like, 13 players, included on the on, two players on the bench and youth prospects. All their players walked. Ofi lost, like, 10 straight games to end the season. You, do they, did they really expect something else in Europe? Did they, did they expect to walk into Europe after losing all those games, not having a full team, building a team in two weeks and performing? It's just, it's not how you run a club. And that's why Haristeas was sacked. 
That's why the manager was sacked. It's, and I, I'm surprised Ophi's manager hasn't been sacked yet because what has he done in 15 games? They've lost like 10 to 12 games. They've performed yeah. terribly. It's, I, I don't know. It's just very poor from them. Yeah. I mean, look, we're going to hope for the best for this season. I, I hoped that maybe at least, you know, even with the terrible setup, you know, terrible management, these were not good teams that they played against. They, this should have been, I wasn't expecting them to progress to the group stages, but I was expecting at least a win or two in qualification, for, at least for the coefficient. Uh, and I was disappointed. So I don't want to spend any more time on that. They, that's probably more time than they even deserved. But, you know, I hope going forward that it at least gets a little bit better this season. Yeah, well, with that being said, let's move on to Pauk. A 2-1 loss away. So you've gotten away goal from Pelkas. Obviously, they, they did blow the lead. They were up 1-0 and then conceded two goals. You know, it's sort of a mixed bag in the sense that you hope that Pauk can take the lead and, and hold on to that lead. And some of the players played well. Um, but at the end of the day, 2-1 is not really a bad result for a first leg away. You know, you go back to Thessaloniki and maybe things, things are done better. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there was a lot more positives to take away from this than I think negatives. You know, there there's definitely a chance to come back in Tumba. This Krasnodar team is not Benfica. Buck played way better, you know, and I think they easily can play against them a little bit more openly. You saw the, uh, the Krasnodar team, even though they're a, a deadly team, don't get me wrong, it's not like they're, they're strikers and they're offensive component is bad by any means but it's not Benfica level so Bauk I think have a chance they they look much better they look less scared of course I think the confidence from Benfica came in here and the goals that they suffered the really came off of like reckless mistakes not not run of play yeah I was and I was gonna say I think I generally don't have a big problem with Pauk's back three you know, you've got Mikaridis on the left, who's a solid young prospect, and then you've got two experienced center halves there to to play with him. And the goalkeeper's not bad either. I think it was just a couple decisive moments. Uh, obviously, I think Krasnodar had a penalty, you know, maybe could have had another one. But certainly, like you said, I think there's a chance going back to Tumba to, you know, you win 1-0 and, and you're set. So it's it's certainly not far-fetched at this point. Of course. I mean, th look, some players did well and some players didn't, right? So, I mean, we can start with the captain. I was disappointed in Belgas. He did get that goal. But when you're wearing that captain's arm badge, it, the onus is on you to set an example for the rest of the team. I always expect that the captain, and he might be vocal on the field. I'm not going to discount that. That could be a reason why he has the captain arm badge. But for me, and part of the reason that I kind of was getting annoyed with Omar getting the captain's badge with Libyakos was, you know, was the performances. I expect my captain, even if he's not playing well technically, to at least be putting a lot of effort in physically. You know, that's, that's what I expect a, a captain to do. So Belgas was very disappointing for me, mainly because he was disappearing a lot. He played 80 minutes or 82 minutes, something like that. How many total passes, how much action do you think he got into? It, it's rhetorical. 16. He had 16 passes for an entire game. I have not seen 
anybody in any forward position with that much time on the field have that little activity. That's unseen. As a captain, you should be way more involved in that. Now, contextually speaking, Bach was on the defensive end more often than not. That's fine. But even so, he should be doing more than he did. He didn't really do very well dribbling either. Even, even the dribbles that the, the analytical metrics classified as successful, they weren't really successful dribbles. When you watch the film, he only got by the defenders whether it was a lucky bounce off of their, their body part that happened to go his way or it was uh, of him fumbling over himself and then the ball happened to, to get forward. It wasn't really something that you would expect, oh, this guy dribbled by this guy, you know, that he actually got by him. No, it wasn't skill that got him by anybody. Didn't connect any crosses. Normally, I don't like to make much of a stink about connecting crosses as long as the effort's there because connecting crosses isn't always easy. There's a, a certain metric of accuracy to it, but as long as you see the efforts there, quantity over quality, you know, is usually what most people go with. As long as you're getting a bunch in there, something should go in. He's also, Belkas isn't really accurate with crosses anyway, so it's not like I expected better. Now, as for the PK, I mean, does Bach have anybody on this on this team that can take a PK, especially in a pressure situation? Well, because, yeah, <laughs> he just, he shot it right at the, he shot it right at the keeper. He just shot it right at him. Didn't pick a corner, nothing. So, I mean, I, I don't know. And then I'm also not convinced that he has player awareness because there were so many times when there was a ball played to him and there's clearly a defender running on him and he just kind of like lollygags to the ball or just, you know, goes over to it thinking he has time in the world. Didn't seem, I, I, I'm not convinced that he has much awareness, pitch awareness on the field. Uh, and, and in terms of him trying to get, he didn't win any loose balls or sorry, he won one loose ball. I apologize. Other, the other players on the pitch, the Krasnodar players wanted it more than him. And that's not what I like to see from a captain. So I expected more from that respect. Again, I won't say he had a bad game, maybe not even a poor game, but definitely below average. Yeah, and I think you're onto something there when you basically saying that if you have that armband on, there's more that's required of you at the end of the day. And especially with him, he is a Greek player for this team and he's He's a veteran, let's face it, at this point. And, yeah, you're, that's the type of player that you probably expect to get the captaincy in on a Greek team like Bauk. And he didn't really put in the performance that was worthy of that, just in a variety of ways, as you explained really well. Speaking on other Greek players, Solis also had a quiet game today. Not really much to write home about. And, again, it's not that he had a poor performance because mm – -hmm. He did well keeping possession. His, his off-the-ball movement, I thought, was okay. You know, we've just seen a couple of games of just true exactly. explosive yeah. playmaking and really game-breaking moves from him. So when kind of seeing him come a little bit down to earth is disappointing to a lot of people. But you know what? Next game, when he – if, you know, assuming that he returns to more of that form we saw in the past, you know, I think he's, he's going to tear Krasnodar up. Yeah, I was going to say, not really a big worry for me. Uh, I have seen a lot from him of him being great, and he's still very young, obviously allowed to occasionally have a quiet game, and it's, it's certainly better to have a quiet game than a, a loud, awful game, I should say. 
Absolutely. So, you know, he's going to – he's a young player. He's still learning. He's going to have these moments. He is playing at a huge stage with Champions League group stage on the line for Bauk, which is obviously a massive achievement for their club given their previous success in Europe. It's a, it's a big step in the right direction. And 100%. Yeah. Wouldn't be surprised back in Tumba could see a big game from him. I hope so. I hope so. And then, I mean, might as well round out that offensive unit there. Zivkovic, solid game. Great at taking players on. I mean, three key passes, three shot assists. Zivkovic is a good find for them. I still don't believe he has that low center of gravity like Podenz does. I had some people disagree with me. He, he definitely has ball skill. I'm not disagreeing. So I, I really, really like him so far. I think he's a great pickup for them. Uh, he even tracked back defensively. I mean, he wasn't really good at winning the ball in the defensive third, but he definitely, definitely at least tracks back, and that's what you like to see. You like to see that movement. Um, we're going under the defense. I thought Bauk's defense did a pretty solid job, but I wanted to give a call out to one specific player, Mikhail Levis. I mean, he's a future for the Greek national team, and he had a wonderful game. I thought he had a great game defensively. I thought he was the best defensive performer in the, in the game today. Adi, maybe Mikalidis is the answer to make Svarnas the player he can become, and it's not Manala. <laughs> you know what? At this point, since Siovas is going to be out anyway, I mean, just throw yeah. Mikalidis in there. I mean, Less he had a great footed. game. He yeah. had a great game. I mean, I had talked about previously that Mikalidis had some issues, but again, he's young. I mean, he's 20 years old. You know, I, I've talked about it in the past, it's a little bit shaky, but that's young players. You expect they can grow out of that. You have more hope when you see a young player with those issues than an older player. You know, And what I see in him as well from what I've, I've seen when watching him play is that he does have a lot of potential. Like, you think about how the center back position has evolved in recent years where, especially when people are playing in a back three, you have center backs who can really play the ball forward and play out of the back, facilitate that type of football that people like to play today. And he is not super, super great technically making those long balls, but he has the eye for it and he has the will to make those plays and he's only going to get better in terms of the accuracy of those long passes. He's got a really solid future ahead of him. And yeah, I mean, speaking with the Greek national team, of course, he could slide in and be that left center back. I think he's probably a bit more natural of a pick for that spot than Stefanidis. And in a back three for Pauk, he works great as that left center back as well. Absolutely. And to kind of give some actionable information, facts for people to understand why I liked him, why we liked him. First of all, seven interceptions, 11 recoveries, and three clearances in the game. Uh, he led Balk in every, every metric, led it in everything. I mean, he was winning everything in the air. And when I say winning everything, I mean, literally, he won everything in the air that came his way. Uh, he won, he got involved in about 20 duels in terms of, you know, situations where he attacked and tried to dispossess the ball. And he won everything except for two. And you might remember them. It was the one time where he was um, man-marking Vanderson and he came, it was in the first half, and he came so far forward. He was actually ahead of midfield almost. And he just followed Vanderson all the way up to the ball and tried to dispossess him there. Then the second time, again, was on a pass uh, it was like a pass off. Uh, he was trying to pass off eventually to the defender 
and he was also attempting to dispossess Vanderson uh, on that left side. So he was on Vanderson a lot. He was, you know, kind of passing off as well. Uh, Bach was playing with five defenders, three center backs. So I thought he did everything he could have. I mean, fantastic performance. This guy's going to be the future of Greece at, at the center back position, assuming, you know, again, like we said earlier, the old guard is out. I mean, he had a great, a great performance. And I think it works well when paired with Varela and Ignason. Uh, Varela, obviously a big leader for Pauk. I think he's worn the captain's armband for them on occasion. And, you know, he just did his job, everything that was needed to be done of him. Two interceptions, 10 recoveries from center back. Obviously a mainstay in their team. Then Ingasson, also pretty solid performance. Eight for 12 in total duels. Three out of four in the air. Four interceptions, 10 recoveries. Did a good job clearing the ball. Did a good job diverting pressure. I think from that back three, I think Palkar said, I think those are three players that you keep and, and a solid performance from all of them against Krasnodar. You hope to see the same in Tumba when the next fixture happens. Of course. I actually, uh, when... When the game was over, I made sure that Varela was one of the first players I did a little bit of a dive on and got a lot of metrics for because there were some Bach fans I thought that were a little bit unhappy with him and they thought they didn't see the best game. I mean, he, it seemed like what he was doing was exactly what he was instructed to do. He was always the last guy back, cleaning up stuff that got back to him. And I thought he did really what he was supposed to do. And I don't think you could have asked much more out of him. There, you know, obviously there are a couple scenarios where, you know, maybe he should have been the one passing off a player. I thought he did all right. I thought he did his job. And I don't think that the errors that led to what happened in, you know, the rest of the game were on him. I, you know, there were some other players at fault for that. So, again, the center backs, the three center backs, thought they did a good job, thought they were solid, and they're going to need to have, you know, uh, another stellar performance again next week to, you know, ensure that Bao can get, a nice comeback win here. Uh, as for the wingbacks, uh, we should probably start with Crespo because, well, I mean, we could start with either one, but Crespo, I thought, okay, but he is playing out of position. I don't know how much more we could expect out of him. I, he just has a lot of rash challenges. It's not a big concern for me. I, I don't know that much about Musawage, but maybe he comes in and at least he's a natural right back. I don't really know what type of right back he is, but you know, all I know about him is that he's a young player and traditionally it seems like the young right backs coming up, save for Aaron Juan Basaka and some of those players, but most of the young right backs coming up are very attacking. So maybe he'll work better as a wing back in Pauk's system. Obviously I, I can't think of a time when Barcelona have ran a three at the back. So it might be a good place for him to, to, to jump in, and I think obviously better than Crespo or Bizaswar or all these guys that they've had in there out of position. Yeah, I think you can't really blame uh, Crespo for the work he did. Crespo seems like almost like a Swiss Army Knife type player for Pauk, you know. he For me, he's a pretty mediocre to not very good at all center back, central defensive player, I, and I find him... I don't know. He he his positioning is weak certainly at certain parts, but I think at right right back he actually has played fine. I you know I think he's doing a better job than Bisesvar was doing to be honest with you. So I, I was quite surprised with him. I think the big problem was actually Janulis defending, just 
just poor, just, just poor defensively as a player. Going forward, he looked great. But defending that penalty was shocking. He should have given a penalty away against Besiktas as well. It's just he's he's a poor defender. He's a rash defender. He panics when he's in his own box going one on one with someone, and he was exposed to or two days ago. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, coming off of that second half performance, especially from Benfica, where he looked like a world beater. Second half performance against Benfica. I saw him and I was like, this is a guy that definitely competes for that spot for the national, the national team with Tsimikas. I mean, 100%. He looked incredible. But then today, you know, even though he was getting forward all right, I liked what he, had, he offered at least going forward. But defensively, you're right. I mean, he was lacking rash challenges, gave up a PK, and then almost gave up a second one. I thought Bach were very fortunate that they didn't cop a second penalty on that. 100%. Uh, he had um, uh, his, in terms of his player mapping, or I should say his positional mapping, he was getting really far up the pitch, a lot far further forward than I've seen in the last couple games, again, besides the Benfica game. So that's what I like to see from him. Now, in terms of the, the defensive stuff where, where we believe he definitely was suspect on, you know, he had 21 duels, only won 11 of them. That's pretty low. You want to see your defender winning more of those. He had five interceptions, four recoveries. It's okay. Not, not horrible. Um, that's okay. You know, there were defenders for Balk that obviously did better. Uh, technically, he, you know, Crespo was about similar to him. So defensively, they performed very similarly. But at the very least, Yanuis could get forward. The part that was concerning to me was that uh, down that wing there, it felt like uh, Vanderson didn't have too difficult a time with him. I thought Vanderson was getting by him, and some of the uh, some of the other offensive players were able to get by him pretty easily. So that's that's something that needs to be monitored because that side was getting hit really hard by Krasnodar. So I'm I'm hoping at least for the next game that we see a better defensive performance from Yanulis. You make a good point that. As an attacker, I think he he definitely is is up there. But defensively, yeah, really suspect and uh, not not up to par with what we saw against Benfica. So it should be interesting. You know, every every game we're going to learn more about him as a player and and get a better idea. You know, assuming he's sold to Atalanta because I probably won't watch him in Syria. But we'll just have to see, honestly. And uh, we wish Pauk the best of luck. In the next leg, hopefully they, you know, 1-0 win in Tumba will take them into the Champions League group stage. So, you know, hopefully that defense can come through. Maybe Musawage can have an impact. And we'll just have to see next week. Now, going to the match that just happened before we've started recording Olympiacos and Ammonia, we won't be talking about the match a lot today, mainly because we are having Christian Legas on this weekend to discuss the match. But... We did get a couple questions about the game in general, and we do want to just offer our thoughts. Uh, Adi, what did you mainly take away from this game? Obviously, you know, a bit of a struggle, but definitely some highlight moments. Uh, well, first of all, I'm going to say I am going to take back my thoughts that I had in the previous podcast with Bob about starting Hassan because of El Arabi's drought. I mean, I had said that El Arabi offered more even when he's in a down form because he actually he can at least hold up the ball and pass it around and contribute to build up. Hassan just can't. 
I mean, he was bad. He was bad today. The I was screaming at the at the screen when I would see, you know, Mahdi or Fortunis with the ball and Hassan just had to run into a lane for a through ball and he just sat there in front of the defender. His terrible touch, that touch that I complain about all the time, it is so bad. He can't pass. He can't do one-twos. You know what? Just start El Arabi and bring Hassan on to try and get some game-winning goals. I'm done with the experiment. So it's funny... <laughs> A lot of times when I'm watching games because of the combination of my vision not being super good and oftentimes the, the game not being in English, I, I pick out who the players are by what color shoes they're wearing. And Holevas wears bright orange cleats. Uh, at one point, Hassan, who was also wearing orange cleats, got the ball in the box. This was like 35 minutes into the game. And my first thought is, what is Holevas doing in the box? The reason I thought that is because I literally didn't know what shoes Hassan was wearing today because that was the first time I noticed him all game, 35 minutes in. It was a pretty poor performance from him. The chances he did get, he didn't score. There was that one when he sort of got the ball, took a couple dribbles and attempted a shot. That was just an incredibly weak attempt. Really, really sad. Mm -hmm. Just like went out for a goal kick. Just really not great. And as, as we mentioned last week, yeah, El Arabi, when he's not scoring goals, is still the type of playmaker that Hassan will never dream of being. And especially when we have Mahdi and Fortunis coming forward, making those one-twos. Hassan just can't do those. Like, no. it's, it's really that simple. So yeah. it's just unfortunate. Yeah, Hassan was just horrific today, guys. It was just, like, so frustrating to watch. You know, even when El Arabi plays terribly, he's creating a ton of chances. Hassan just had no movement, you know? Like, you needed that against a team that's playing so deep. And it was just frustrating to watch, definitely. And... Another player I was disappointed with, who who we were talking pretty highly of and excited to see what he was going to do this season, was Fortunis. Just didn't come out today, and it was disappointing for sure for me. Absolutely, and I'm very curious to see uh, again. This, and part of the reason why we're doing the more deeper analytical dive with Christian Legas on Sunday is that when you when it's right after a game, the the metrics populate, but very slowly. So I won't. We don't get to see everything, especially since recording right after this. So Sunday, it'll be nice because you know, despite what we believe we saw, sometimes the eye test isn't always accurate. Yeah. Right. So we see things, and sometimes a halo effect. The player does one thing well, and we think he does very well the whole game. The eye test isn't always accurate. So this is why we like to look at the data, the player statistics, because this will give us, you know, a clear picture. Look, we thought Hassan did poorly. Maybe there are things that he actually did well that we weren't paying attention because we we're getting so frustrated with his lack of pace, with his terrible touch. So this is why we want to do a deeper dive on the game in terms of analytics, because we want to see if there's something we missed. Yeah, that's a really great point. I mean, as a math person myself, by trade, as they would say, you really can't make a solid conclusion about anything without numbers uh, these days, in my opinion. You want to have that support, that unbiased support. And as Olympiacos fans, especially whether we're really gassed about a player, whether we love that player or whether we get on their case a lot, a la Hassan, it's very easy for our personal biases to sort of impact the way that we perceive a player. So we don't want to, you know, go off and, and talk too much about today's game. But we did have a question. I think this one was from Steve Koduru about whether this starting 11 was the right decision for Martins coming into the game. And obviously, Hassan starting was one of the decisions that was made. Additionally, Mvia was benched and Fortunis was brought in. Masuras 
was brought into the starting 11. Lamro, do you think that the starting 11 was, was a solid choice? No, when I saw the starting 11, I had no problems with it, to be honest with you, because as we discussed, Al-Arabi's form has been down recently, is a way you could put it. So it was kind of okay for Tunis Masura's start. I'm excited to see them play now after they had that league game under their belt. And, you know, Hassan scores goals. That's how we know Hassan. But I'm just going to... Watching this game today, I don't know if you guys remember this game. Dynamo Kiev away came straight into my mind. I don't know if you guys remember that game where Hassan... I, I want to say single-handedly stuck us out of Europe with the amount of chances he missed. And it's just... That is the player Hassan is. I'm, I'm, I, I'm sorry to go a little off topic on the starting lineup. I was fine with the starting lineup. But on Hassan... He's just not a European-level football player. He, he can score goals in Greece, okay? He can win MVP of the playoff, which he posted very proudly. But when the games really matter and you need the goals in European big, big games or derby games, he doesn't come through, and that's, that's his son. Absolutely. I mean, as far as the lineup goes, I agree with you. I don't, I don't have an issue with the lineup. And I will say that, you know, if we're grading the coach again, like we did in the in the previous podcast, I would give I would still give Martins maybe I'm really stuck between a, a B plus a B plus and an A. Again, reason being I have no issue with the starting lineup. If there was a lineup that we had that was gonna break down a, a team, we've seen it here. When Fortunas comes on as a sub, he breaks these teams out. Uh, you know, or breaks these defenses down. Maybe Fortunis is just a super sub. I don't know. Maybe that's something we have to accept, that he's not a day-in, day-out starting 10. I have a hard time believing that. I think he just had a bad game today or maybe a poorer game. But I think the lineup, in theory, was fine. It was just player performance wasn't altogether there. I think we probably would have seen more out of Fortunis if El Arabi started, because at least El Arabi can play and makes better runs. I don't have an issue with the starting lineup, but again, Martins made, I think, the right moves because look at the players that he brought on right away. El Arabi, Radejevic. And who were the guys that really turned the game around? El Arabi, Radejevic. So the subs, again, were spot on. So, you know, I can't give him less than a B plus, maybe even an A. Yeah, I mean, I think I said it in last week's podcast, but the number one thing that I judge a manager on in terms of their coaching performance is the way that they react to things they see in the game in the form of substitutions or formational changes, things like this. You know, El Arabi, we talked again last weekend about how maybe giving him a bench spot at the beginning of the game would give some pressure off from him. And you could argue that it did exactly that because he came on and, oh my God, like we don't need analytics to talk about how amazing that goal was. Like unreal finish. And he had some other nice moments in terms of passing the ball and distributing the ball to others. So he was good. It was a good change to bring him on. Ranjeovic, another good change to come on. So, yeah, I think from the point of view of Martins, I think that's good. I think just like Lambro said, when the starting lineup came out, I was A, not super surprised, and B, not really that, you know, worried about it. I thought that was a good choice. Um, we had talked about how Fortunis maybe, maybe he isn't cut out for big European teams, especially when we're not trying to be super attacking. But I certainly going into this game perceived Domonia as on par with another Greek team. I think they may have been a bit more organized at the back 
in terms of limiting our ability to create than the average Greek team. So I will have to hand it to them for that. But I think also, you know, players like Fortunis who didn't have their best game maybe would have benefited from El Arabi in the whole time, even if giving El Arabi some time off was helpful for him in the long yeah, term. Yeah, so I, I feel like I harp back to this all the time, but the interview Martins gave to Mega maybe six weeks ago where he discussed his preferred tactics. Olympiacos was, has been a team that plays 4-2-3-1 for how many years now? We have now have so many systems that we can play with, guys. Like, we have 4-3-3, we have 4-2-3-1, and now we have 4-4-2. That 4-4-2, when the second striker came on, made the difference, I feel, today against Ammonia. And that's something that's really reassuring, that we don't have to count on Fortunis. We don't have to count on maybe Valbuena, you know? It's, it's something new. Also, I don't want to hark on tactics too much in formations, but one thing that we've sort of discussed before and one thing that always pops in my mind when, whenever we play is some of the players on our team just don't really, uh, they aren't really boxed into a position <laughs> specifically. Like when you think about Valbuena and Fortunis, like Fortunis was, was dropping really deep at times to come get the ball when he was on the pitch. And, you know, obviously on, on paper, it's a 4-2-3-1, but sometimes it might look more like a 4-3-3. I mean, that line is not very, it's, it's kind of blurred. And I think that's interesting as well that sometimes, like especially whenever Valbuena plays on the wing, sometimes he wants to come in and oh, be yeah. a 10, other things like that. Sometimes we look, you know, a bit less rigidly confined to a tactic, which I think sometimes is a good thing. Absolutely. Uh, it was funny seeing uh, Valbuena was all over the place. I saw him on the left. I saw him on the right. He yeah. was in the middle. And even Fortuna is the same thing. So that – I was happy with the movement at least. So I can't – I can't really complain too much about that. It's just I thought that in terms of the – in terms of like our goals of the game. Remember, we discussed the goals of the game in the previous podcast. The really big thing that we talked about to break this defense down because of the way their zonal marking was. And you saw it today. These guys did not cross half field. The midfielder stayed right in front of the defense, except on clear counters where one of them would get further forward with the wing and the striker. They were strict. They would pass off a, a player when they got to them and diffuse the pressure from the center and try and diffuse it out to the right. Our most dangerous attempts getting through them where when we were working the one-twos, when Fortunis and Valbuena, one-twos, breaking through, cutting a hole, it broke down their zonal defensive scheme. Whether it was due to communication issues and passing off a player, doesn't matter. The one-twos were how we broke them down the most often. We didn't do that enough. So in terms of the goals of the game, I, I'm going to say that we at least met two of them because we didn't let up in the second half, which is a concern I always have. Uh, well, we didn't let up in the half because we didn't have a lead. Had we had a lead earlier, we probably would have let up a little bit in the second half. But we came out in the second half. We were going at them. We didn't get sucked in for the counter. If you noticed, when uh, towards the end of the game, they were really working Jose Bus's end. They were really coming down that left side. As you side. said. And I said that. this They are dangerous down the right side. Now, what I got wrong was the context. In the, in the film I watched, it was really that guy Papoulis that was burning down that side. In this case, it wasn't him, but still, that's where they were going down. They loved to go down that end. And it really started to wear down Holebas, especially as he got more tired. Holebas was getting really far up there, further up than we saw in the last game. So it was something that I thought we did okay. We at least met the goal. But the goal we didn't get was those one-twos. 
Papulis for them was sort of pulling a Valbuena. He was kind of all over the place. Yep. He wasn't really specifically, you know, going all down one flank every time. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm going to beat my chest too. I said with El Arabi, form is temporary, class is permanent. El Arabi's class, he got his goal. The king of Qatar is back, baby. And just to jump in on this whole Leba situation, God, that left side was getting burned. Jan Envia was coming in to play almost like a left midfielder to cover yep. on the wing. And you saw it right away with Ammonia's tactics. They brought on the Ghanaian ex-international, I would assume, the older player, that the, the English announcer who I was listening to couldn't get the Ote stream tonight, um, was saying that he was very pacey. And then they brought in that 17-year-old newly capped Cypriot international kid who was very fast, who got schooled, of course, on the El Arabi goal. And... Oh, yeah. They were just going hard at Holebas, you know. It was, it was. I found it quite hilarious. It was just switch it to the right side and run at Holebas, play it in behind Holebas. And, you know, it's really concerning that we don't have a left back in yet. And with this Mateus Rice situation, we need a left back yesterday, two weeks ago. It's, it's bad. It is bad. Bad. The Holebas, it is clear, is the Toro Cidis replacement. He is not Chimika's replacement. He's not even Bruno Gaspar replacement. He is Toro Cidis replacement. We we need two left-sided fullbacks. Miguel Trauco, we need to start the rumors back <laughs> up again. Get this man in a red and white shirt ASAP. I need him in my team. Well, if the if the rumors about Porto going in for Rice are true, that may that may come back again. May Could have to imagine? get Luis back on here again. Could you imagine Porto taking Zaidu our number one target, and then Rice our second target from right under us? Could you imagine? It's it's just it, we need that left back, and it, it's at this point freaking. Bringing Kutris, man. Like if Kutris is ready by October, we're desperate here. Bring Kutris back. Because yeah, this well, Boss experiment cannot last for much longer. I'm sorry. I, I agree with you. And, uh, I mean, this was a question brought up by our good friend and uh, recent guest, Bob Beans. He had asked how long we're going to wait to secure a second left back. If Draco and Rice aren't straightforward, we need to consider other options. Do we keep Gutris? Gutris, you guys remember, that was a really nasty injury. He had uh, ACL. I mean, and it wasn't just ACL. It was, like, multiple ligaments. I have done that twice in my knees. They are nasty injuries. The recovery time, even fast recovery times are between six to eight months to be back into actual, you know, training shape. So he's not, he wasn't expected back till October anyway. But remember, we have heard nothing but loan reports, mm -hmm. uh, you know, rumors of him going on loan to Fortuna Dusseldorf multiple times and before he's even fully recovered. That is troubling to me. I don't know. <laughs> You know, even if he does come back, I don't know if he's going to feature for us. If I'm hearing that a guy's going to be loaned before he's even recovered, that doesn't sound good, especially since we loaned him, you know, in the middle of last season. I'm not exactly sure what the relationship is between Gutierrez and, and Pedro Martins. And on social media, there's a lot of people asking these questions. There's a lot of people asking, what's going on? What's going on with Martins and Gutierrez? Why is this a thing? The answer is I have no idea. I don't, and I don't know if Kutris is actually going to be a part of this team's plans anytime soon. Yeah, it's a very weird situation. It really is. It would suggest that we were – the loan moves, I should say, would suggest that we are in for a new left back and it's all but confirmed, right? But that doesn't really seem to be the case anymore. 
we certainly could use him. He is an upgrade over Hodevas. So it would suggest that maybe there's something going on that we can't see. And I really think that's unfortunate, obviously. He went from the starting left back and a player who'd been in the team for quite some time with Olympiacos. And obviously, Chimikas came in and was amazing and earned that starting spot. But it's just really a shame that Kuturis has sort of fallen off in that sense. And I really just hope that it isn't actually true in terms of his relationship with Martins. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the club has done some great business this summer, but this left fullback situation has really, really done me in. You know, we sold Chimikas, what, a week? Less than a week after the Wolves game? We've mm-hmm. had a good six weeks to sign a fullback. Like, this is insanity. And we had a, we've had six weeks to loan Kutris out. It's, I, I'm, I, I, if I was Pedro Martins, I would go to Kutris and say, we need you at this point. If Mateus Rice isn't coming in, we're, we're down to like our fourth or fifth choice left back. This is insanity. This, Kutris is better than these, whoever we're going to bring in at this point, you know? Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know. It's frustrating to me. It's, it's really frustrating. Yeah. Well, enough of that. Why don't we uh, slightly move over and go back into the European discussion. Adi, would you be able to finish us off with some coefficient talk? Absolutely. Everybody loves the coefficient talk. Now, we don't have a complete picture for the coefficient, but going into this, going into the Champions League and Europa League games this week, uh, you know, our position was slightly better with the unexpected win from Bauk. But of course, with the two losses, even though, you know, we had losses, we still got a couple points out of it. We are moving up a little bit in the coefficient table. The problem is Switzerland still is kind of gaining some ground. They're within striking distance, though. The win by Olympiacos today does get us closer. It's going to put us at exactly 22 coefficient points. Switzerland sitting at 22.475. So hopefully they don't win anything, uh, including, you know, uh, St. Galen is going to play Ike tomorrow. So if Ike can beat St. Galen and if uh, Basel can lose to Anorthosi, I know it's a Cypriot team and we need them to lose for the coefficient, but we'd rather have Switzerland lose now. If they can lose tomorrow, both those teams, we are definitely in striking striking distance. A win from Olympiacos, maybe another win from Balk against Krasnodar next week. Uh, gets us in that 17th position. And then Serbia is only about 0.3 points. That's literally one win away from Switzerland. And they're not having much luck right now either. So, you know, there, there's a good chance here for us to move up a couple points and get behind Denmark. Yeah, Switzerland just needs to go ahead and get in the bin. Am I right, Lambro? <laughs> How dare you, Peter? But <laughs> one, one thing I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to say a little controversial is I'm, I, I'm worried about Ike going into this game against St. Gallen. Um, the Ike of the past few months that we've been watching hasn't really inspired much confidence in me. And I, I'm really scared we're about to see another Aris or Ophi results tomorrow evening. Um, it, St. Gallen isn't a walkover team, you know, so yep. it, it, it's going to be difficult. And I, I'm actually... I'm a bit worried. I think Ike is right there. I, this is a discussion we can have at a later date, but I think Ike is really close to being on the edge of getting rid of this coach and making some moves. Like they're, I don't know. It, it seems like at that flipping point, I know this is a whole discussion that we can have, but it seems like they can either go on to success or it could go downhill real fast with Levaya wanting out, et cetera, et cetera. 
Absolutely. And there's reports also that Leviev could be on his way to Turkey. I know that those reports are obviously flimsy. Turkish, the Turkish uh, transfer news isn't exactly the most uh, credible as mm -hmm. it is. But yeah, it's gonna be it's gonna be tough. But there's a lot of games tomorrow that could definitely affect our coefficient, our coefficient rather. Sorry, the Serbians have a couple teams playing Czech Republic, Switzerland. There's a lot of teams playing tomorrow that we need to lose. Uh, it was also nice to see uh, uh, Midjelan uh, or Thai Slavia Praha. Maybe they can lose in one of the upcoming games to Slavia Praha, so we can start gaining on Denmark as well. We're about 3.6 coefficient points away from that 15th spot, that sweet spot. It's tough. It's pretty tough. It's going to be tough for us to get there. But listen, we get, a, we get you know, God willing, uh, Bauk and Libyakos in the group stage, Ike in the group stage, if they can overcome St. Galen, you know, this is, uh, this is something that's now in the realm of possibility. So there's going to be hope there. And of course, I do want to plug um, the coefficient report. Guys, I, I talked about it last time. There's a really nice coefficient report if you want to see for yourself where we stand on a beautiful grid with what games are coming up. Use your Mesartic on the Greek footy subreddit. That's r forward slash Greek footy. You can check out the coefficient report. It is now pinned, so it's one of the first things you see, and it is really well done. Mesartic does a good job, and he keeps it updated all the time. He saved me a lot of work, and he even puts the amount of points we get. He does the math for you, so you don't have to worry about it, how many points each team is getting for a win, you know, from each country, things like that. And it's really nice. It's really well done. Go check it out if you want to see for yourself where we're sitting in the table. Yeah, massive, massive shout-out to him. Absolutely, incredibly well done. And I think with that, that's about all we really wanted to talk about today. Lambro, do you have any final thoughts from this last week or so of Greek football action. Um, I'll make one comment looking forward this. We're going to get into it on Sunday with our podcast with Christian, but this is a big week of European football coming up for Greece starting tomorrow with starting again, starting today here in Switzerland uh, with Ike and St. Gallen here in Switzerland. Uh, yeah, this is a big week. You know, if I go through, if Pau can go through, if we can go through the, it can give us some hope, you know, going forward. And that's what we need, some hope for the coefficient report. 100%. Let's go, Ike. Let's go, Pauk, next week as well. And, of course, more importantly, let's go, Olympiakos. Here we go. Big games coming up. And we've got the podcast on Sunday with Christian, where we'll be talking about the game that, I guess, took place yesterday for folks who are listening to this on Thursday and some Super League action, which is – we're hoping is just a bit uneventful against Panetolikos. So with all that being said, we thank you all so, so much for listening, especially if you've made it this far. We will be back with you soon from around the world, from all the continents. We appreciate you for listening, and we will see you next time.